is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your host, Jeff Cork, joined today by my good buddy, Ben Hansen. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Hello. Why, hello. And as always, we are watching the entire run of the Twilight Zone from beginning to... It has to end, right? Why are we doing this again? For fun. How many times have you regretted choosing to do this weird podcast? Never. I honestly love this because I have like... I know that when it's all done, I'll be able to like lean back in my chair, crack my knuckles and say... I dunned it. I, <laughs> I've seen every episode of The Twilight Zone. And we'll crack our knuckles on Mike. We can promise that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I just, I'm looking forward to the day, maybe two years after we get done with this entire run, and then somebody in a casual conversation brings up a specific episode of The Twilight Zone, Yes, and I will not remember it. Yeah, and that's be the day where I have to jump out the <laughs> window. Because <laughs> that's the whole reason I'm doing this is so I can remember everything. Yeah, well, hopefully you'll remember how to do that best. You know, you have good jumping out the window form <laughs> after having seen dozens of people do it on the Twilight Zone. Now you know the real reason why I'm watching the Twilight Zone. Is yeah, to absolutely. Learn how to jump out of a window. All right. In this episode, we're watching, we're talking about uh, episodes 21 through 25. Season three. Of season three. Exactly. And why don't I start it off with an episode called Kick the Can. All right. We start off in an old folks home and a guy is told, hey, your son's here to pick you up. And he runs over to the son and the son, they sit in the car, have an uncomfortable conversation where the son's actually not there to pick him up. Uh, he, it was kind of like a big fake out. The guy comes home dejectedly. There's young people outside playing the game kick the can. And the old guy reminisces about being young and how great that was. His curmudgeonly friend is like, bah, we're old. It doesn't matter. Old guy refuses it and says, you know what? Maybe there's magic in this world. And he convinces all the other old people that they need to go outside at night after creating a diversion of firecrackers. And they're going to play kick the can. And for some reason, he just knows that they're going to become young. He, he does it. They do. But unfortunately, the old guy who wasn't having any of it, he calls the cops or not the cops, I'm sorry, the, the guy who runs the place, real crabby dude also, you know, they're, they have a lot in common. And they run outside, and all the old people are gone, replaced by their younger counterparts, and because the curmudgeon and the uh, friendly old guy were friends since childhood, he rec- the curmudgeonly guy recognizes his young friend, and they all just leave him in the dust. The end. So are you 100% convinced that those kids were the old people gone back in time? Do you think they wanted it to be a little bit ambiguous? Because they're still like, oh, there's just kids here. We're going to go check around back. They're probably out by this pond over here. Mm-hmm. And then the kids never like recognize it. There's no like, you didn't come with, sorry, type of thing when they're talking to the old guy. Oh, you don't think that that guy recognized his I kind of got that impression too. Yeah, but I just, I don't know how ambiguous they wanted it to be. It can be if you really want to dive into this it. This one really falls apart when you start to think about it, Ben Hansen. <laughs> please, please don't. So Mainly, like, first of all, yeah. how the you play kick the can I, like they show it yes i have no idea it's one of those games where it's like oh of course kick the can everybody knows it but if somebody put a gun to my head and said play kick the can i don't it, think you could do any worse a job than what they did on the show because it is literally just a bunch of kids in a cluster kicking a can is that what it is is everyone just stands around and just kicks it randomly and it's kind of like a hot potato type I, thing that's all i gathered that and it could possibly make you young again <laughs> also they're really lucky that those kids happen to be playing a game right outside their old folks' home that they knew when they were a kid. It's oh, not yeah. like some newfangled, like, hey, just play with a hula hoop or something, and all the old people are like, what is this nonsense? Yeah, make, make mine mumbly peg. <laughs> but they do bring up, when they're talking about old games, they bring up Kick the Can, then the old guy also mentions statues. Yes. You know that what that is? I would imagine it has something to do with staying still. 
Is like a red light, green light, maybe? I don't know. Okay. There was also a callback to, remember, what? Nick of Time, yeah. when handsome William Shatner and his girl... You could finish this thought. Red and butter, the thing we talked about on the podcast. Yeah. I was like, what the heck is that? They brought it up. It was like, oh, come on. You never, you don't believe in magic? You never did the bread and butter thing when you're holding hands and you walk yeah. in front of a pole yeah. to separate or whatever? It was weird. Yeah. So anyway, let's talk about the aftermath of this game of kick the can. Yeah. Like, the kid looks at his buddy and then they just run off into the darkness, squealing with delight. Are their parents dead at this time? Like, what happens oh, yes. the next morning? Are they still children trapped forever in this world? Like... With their adult brains, they and, they, and can't. they have to like survive in yeah. the forest outside of the old folks' exactly. home. They have to like run into like steal food because it's the only place they know. <laughs> yeah, this is a good candidate for best potential sequel. Yep, for when the Franklins for season three roll around. Yeah, I think this could exist within the larger framework of the Twilight Zone. This could be the same flop house old folks' home where uh, Static took place. If you think about it, yeah, <laughs> weird location. Yeah, except I guess they got young at the end of Static too, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, there's the same same structure for the whole thing. This is the kind of old folks home that's just not depressing at all. It's always funny to see old folks home in, on TV or in mm-hmm. movies because it's like everyone is like 72, still pretty spry. They can walk around just fine. But if you go to a real old folks home, I don't know when the last time you were in one. Uh, when I had living grandparents. Okay. It's yeah. probably, probably don't have a reason to go there <laughs> oh, anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> want to bring this up on this depressing episode. But they are the darkest places. Just no one can even look up. Everyone's just staring at the floor drooling. It's not great. They can't do it. No. My goal is to show this episode of Twilight Zone in an old folks home. Yes. And just watch the zero reaction. Just the flat line <laughs> of everybody. And then at the end, like... A can by itself wouldn't make a jiggling sound, but you could still wave it in front of them all. Yeah, just throw it at their feet repeatedly to see if they can age backwards. Tremendous jackass, I guess. This episode also was used in the Twilight Zone, the movie. Steven Spielberg directed a segment based on this. How well do you remember that movie? You bring it up a lot. I saw it a lot when I was a kid. Is Um, it worth checking out? It's about as good as this episode. It is garbage. (laughs) I like this episode. Really? Yeah, I really do. And it's one of those where... I can't quite separate it because I've seen it a couple times now. It okay. was one of those that I saw in the initial run when I had like the best of DVDs. Yeah. And so it's one of those I always thought about like, oh, games make you young. That's kind of a cool idea. It's kind of like you. You review games for a living. That's yeah. why you're just slowly getting gray hair across you your, your dumb head. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of Night of the Meek. Maybe that's what it is. It's just like this uh, I see. kind it's of- too sweet. It's, it's, yeah, too syrupy and just seems like wish fulfillment without any real- conflict and then you just leave people hanging i I don't mind episodes that do that you know like we talked about when the sky was open right i I like a good mystery but then when you have something like this where you just like these kids are apparently gonna have to go feral i don't know it seems really dark when you think about it this is the prequel to two i think these kids it's like (laughs) rise of the planet of the apes and they just spread across the country because all old people turn themselves young again and then it just wipes out civilization yeah i think you're right you're onto something but you talk about how syrupy this episode is there was one kind of dark moment where they're debating whether or not magic exists Mm -hmm. i don't know magic is for love it turns out yeah Uh, but they're debating whether or not magic exists and he's like, oh, don't you think it's magic? Like, uh, first time I kissed my wife, that mm-hmm. was magic. And like, they never really talked about it again, but clearly his wife is dead at this point. Yes. Which is an interesting detail. And then in the beginning, when he's talking to his son, his son's like, hey, I just promised we'd talk about getting you out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, I never guaranteed that. I thought there were some nice, darker undertones to an overall pretty cheesy episode. Well, Santa was a drunk, too. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you're looking at it that way. Uh, so what'd you end up giving this one? Yeah, this one a five. 
okay, that's fair. I gave it a seven. Yeah. And I don't know if it if I'm nostalgic for the nostalgic old people, but yeah, I liked it. Yeah. You like rapping grandparents? And hunting pollywogs. <laughs> my two favorite things. Next episode is called This this the title for this episode is almost well, I, I won't prejudge. The episode title is A Piano in the House. A piano in the house. Hello. And there is a theater critic uh, who goes to like a junk antique store, uh, gets a player piano for his young, attractive wife because he's convinced that she won't be able to learn how to play piano on her own. So he gets an old-timey player piano, you know, one that plays itself. And in the store, it starts playing a song, and the shopkeeper gets really romantic and weird. And he's like, oh, never mind that. Just ship it to my house. And so then the plot of the episode is that he plays different sheet music in this player piano, and the music will bring out one emotion or aspect of somebody that was hidden while he has this party. So at first, like, he plays some happy number in his depressed old... uh, you know, wait staff guy, butler, just like does a jig and is super happy and gets a creepy smile on his face. And then when he has the party later, he replays some other music that makes one guy reveal that he's having an affair with his wife. And then he plays the music at the end to find out who the real devil is. And then it turns out that he is reverted back to his youth and he talks about how he's just scared and that's why he's such a mean guy. And then everybody leaves and then that's the end of the episode. I like this episode a lot. Are you kidding me? No, I like this one a lot. I think this is one of my least favorite episodes. You're kidding. So far. No, I, this is what I was talking about when I, when I mentioned to you earlier that mm-hmm. like, I think we're getting a taste yeah. of the future of the Twilight Zone, like seasons four and five, where okay. it's like, there have been some bad episodes before, but at least they make sense. Mm-hmm. And there's some coherent plot. This is just this ambiguous thing of like, I guess the pianos, songs, make people act different ways and it chooses how they're going to act randomly. And like circus music will make one guy in the back of the room be honest. It's it's all over the place. Like there's no logic to any of this episode whatsoever. I liked it a lot though. <laughs> why? So, well, here's why. Okay. So the first, like when they, they play the song in the junk shop, which yeah. I love the junk shop, but anytime you see a twilight zone with the episode yeah. of the junk shop, it's going to be pretty good. And the guy just immediately starts talking about the young wife and he gets all like, weird kind of schmaltzy about the whole thing You're like yeah. what's going on here you know and then when the song is over the guy just like snaps to it he's like yeah whatever yeah and then he plays a song for his wife and the wife just basically admits i hate you i hate you yeah. <laughs> i hate everything about you the guy is kind of like oh that sucks and then he <laughs> then the one guy you talked to, and then the, like the last act of just sheer cruelty his overweight sister comes and he just completely humiliates her in front of everyone and makes her think She's like a ballerina and she starts dancing. See, this is the part. It's like, I don't understand what was going on. What was it about that music that singled her out and turned her into a ballerina? So she's running around like a ballerina, like an idiot. And then Mm -hmm. everybody's laughing at her at the party. Mm -hmm. And then he does it again and convinces her that she's Tina or like she has to do something Because she mentions that she... She fan- she thinks of herself as this other character, kind yeah, of. Yeah, and so he makes her then do like stupid poses, and at that yeah. point, everybody is just like grim, Ooh. like, "Oh, what is going on?" Yeah, here? exactly. And before that, though, she makes plenty of references to herself being super fat, just in case mm-hmm. people weren't paying attention, right? So that they can pay off that humiliation angle later. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she's constantly like, "Oh boy, oh this guy is so attractive, I'd 
claw his wife's eyes out and sit on her and then ooh, where's the cake coming and all this nonsense yeah yeah i don't so, i just made i think that that made the, the the moment once she like goes into that weird trance-like state it felt really like uncomfortable to watch yeah, yeah. i think her performance was really good Okay, even though she was a ridiculous character to begin with, just because she. But I think that she weight. was overcompensating for that ridiculous character. That was as for that character, she was yeah. playing a character. Right. Maybe I'm reading way too much into that I episode, were, but I think you were really thinking about yeah. a piano in the house. Yeah, the, I have to say that that character, the main character, he, the theater critic, was just as awful a person as the guy in One More Pallbearer. This guy is just loathsome person, and like at the very beginning, he's like. So excited that he's found a fellow misanthrope, as he called it, you know, at the very, like, the guy who runs yeah. the junk shop hates yeah. people as well. And he's just totally thrilled at that. Yeah, I guess and so. And they make him a critic, too, which he's I think is... He's the theater big. critic. Boo! Yeah, and when he's, like, being honest at the end, uh, when the piano makes him be honest and reveal mm-hmm. himself as a scared little boy, uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting touch. Yeah. Uh, and he talks about, like, the actor friend who we always purposely gave him negative reviews because he didn't like him. Mm-hmm. And that was the same guy that was sleeping with his wife, right? Yeah. Was that the idea? Is he assumed that this guy was sleeping with his wife? Yeah. Did you understand any shred of the piano logic, like how you aim it or how that crap worked? I think it seemed to whoever was kind of focused his attention on at that moment was, like, the song. I so mean, he, he was, like, selecting songs. It looked like he, there was, a, like, a, a reason behind it. So then what about the one where he's like, I'll bring out the devil in one of you, and then it was him. Well, that was had to be a tragic misfire. <laughs> if, I mean, he couldn't have used it on himself on purpose, you know. Yeah. So then everybody leaves the room as he's reverted to a young kid, and he's like, if right. you leave me, I'm going to be very naughty. And then he starts yeah. throwing things around the room and trashing it. Ruins a perfectly good piano player role in the process. That's true. I'm curious to see how much you like this episode. Are you? I am, because I really, really did not like this episode. Interesting. I, boy, this is rough. I feel like I'm I'm on the spot. I you give are. this one an eight. I like this one oh, a lot. Oh my god! I really like this. Let's one. just say if we add them up, we reach the perfect ten. Oh, uh, I, interesting. I give this one a two. Oh. It, is, it is certainly down there for me. Just for like, again, it's a thing. Like I don't mind an ambiguous episode, but I just felt like it was trying to set up some logic that just didn't make any sense whatsoever. But they wanted to act like it did. And next up, the last rites of Jeff Myrtlebane Bank. Real memorable stuff here. Uh, <laughs> so basically, it opens up with a country funeral. If I'm not mistaken, uh, there's a harmonica playing too. As, yep, as, yep, believe as it or not. In the, in the country, a lot of that happens. Uh, and suddenly, the person who's about to be buried pops out of the grave, no worse for the wear. Uh, it's Roscoe P. Coltrane from Dukes of Hazard, if you're paying attention. And he is just completely flustered. He doesn't know what's going on, just as everyone else is. And you learn that... He just goes on about his routine like nothing happened, and everyone is completely suspicious about it. The doc, the doctor explains that well, maybe he was in some kind of sickness that simulates death, and uh, but later tells people at the general store after eating a pickle that he poked him with the pin, gave him the pin test, and he didn't even flinch, and he put a mirror under his nose. Something that guy was like, they think he's possessed by something. Meanwhile, Roscoe P. Coltrane is. Eating a little differently. He's working hard. He didn't used to work hard. And all this other stuff. His fiance or the girl that he likes a lot, she's still she's still totally into him, even though he's being a little creepy. Eventually, town folk are like, hey, you're going to have to get out of here. But moments before, he asked the girl if she would marry him. She gives the answer, yes. And then he says, well, you know what? I'm going to stay here and there's nothing you can do about it. And then they all kind of fade away into the background. And then he lights his pipe with a flame produced by his finger. 
They walk away, and then suddenly Rod Serling says <laughs> they had a child who's a high-ranking member of Congress, and uh, the end. I What did that ending mean? This is the biggest pile of garbage I think that <laughs> has ever been on the Twilight Zone. This is a stupid episode. Not it, it, you know, like that one episode that said, you know, based on a, an idea. Um, yeah. The the showdown with Rance, Rance McGrew. McGrew, right? Yeah. Based on an idea, and you go, like, oh, a couple of guys maybe had a conversation at a bar. This is like a couple of guys had way too many drinks and were just like talking over each other and transcribing the conversation because none of this makes any sense. There's no payoff. What is the lesson? What's the what's going on? I don't even like moment to moment. It doesn't make any sense. Like <laughs> like the one guy picks a. F- fight with Roscoe P. Coltrane and then he gets beaten up and then it's that's suddenly a sign that so is this guy the devil is that what's going on presumably is, is that not? the joke because I mean they do make a reference like oh he must be possessed by some evil spirit and so I guess that is the conclusion that the Twilight Zone was reaching and then the joke at the end is like oh, son of the devil's down in Washington D.C. because like I didn't know if that was a specific reference because if you remember in the mighty Casey mm-hmm. that also ends with like Oh boy, that team of robot robots went down to the became the Dodgers or whatever. Like they had yeah. that kind of subtle reference. And so I was expecting something like this here, and I looked it up in the Twilight Zone Companion book. Mm-hmm. No mention of it. I Googled it. No mention of if Sterling was going for something specific. So I could just see him like holding his head in his hands, going, We have to salvage this piece of shit. <laughs> Congress. Put a joke. Everyone hates those fat cats in Washington. Let's stick it to them. I was Googling for like a Senator Myrtle Bank. I yeah. was really I was doing <laughs> trying to find any logic here. Yeah. Uh, and I, you gotta, I think you need to let go of trying to find logic all the time, but I'm with you 100% on this. This was like, as it was happening, I was just stunned. Like, I, this I is was so not stupid. about it as you were because it's like, for me, it was a somewhat interesting idea. idea if like in the small town in the 20s or whenever it took place, uh, if somebody just rose from the grave and it's that thing of like, well, here's a normal situation. One super weird thing happens. How are you going to deal with it? But there, it was a super boring episode outside of that basic idea. And the idea of like, because of him coming back to life, it kind of reveals how every person in the town thought of him because everybody's mm-hmm. constantly expressing their opinions of him. Yeah. Like even before during the funeral, everyone's like, well, you know, he, he didn't go to church too much, but he wasn't down at the bar. He's a pretty good kid. And mm-hmm. then, like, as it goes on, you find out what people really think of him. Yeah. yeah, the brother that beat him up and then got his ass kicked by him. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, he must be possessed. He sounds yeah. like he's from the ring or something. Yeah. It, it just felt like an improv sketch that was just <laughs> poorly done. You know, you're like, okay, they were given a situation. What happens? Like, you just outlined. Yeah. And then, all right, that... That took up 24 minutes. And then he and then, lights his finger. Then he lights a pipe with his finger. <laughs> Jesus. I, I did like it when... Because there's a cool moment where his fiance was pretty freaked out. Like, he came over with flowers. Yes. And, and they were dead. Yeah, and she's they, like, what the hell, man? He's like, I don't know. They must have died on the way over here. I don't know. But, like, the entire time she's like, is this guy dead? What's going on? And then she yeah. won't kiss him. Yeah. And then, really, the next big exchange between those two, he's proposing to her. Mm-hmm. And she's uncertain and then that's when the villagers come with pitchforks trying to take this guy down well and then one of the only women in town you think she'd have her pick from the litter you know <laughs> pick of dead men uh yeah but then it was fun because they're all like oh get out of town you you're not welcome here and he's like well it all comes down to what she says like before yep. you got here i asked her this so now she needs to choose uh-huh. 
and she chose love. They told they told him, you need to get out of the country. I don't know if that was like you county or like they they can see like people in Hollywood were just like, you know, country folk, get out of the country. You're not <laughs> like, welcome in our country. You're, you're now a city folk. We love our country. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was my overall impression is pretty interesting idea. And then just super boring episode. Yeah. And uh, you're going to be disgusted by my high score. What did you give it? I gave it a five. Really? I gave it a two. Oh, God. Did you like this one more than The Hunt? More Wait, than The Hunt? I guess you liked The Hunt more than this one, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I, I saw some somebody in, in the comments gave like a, The Hunt like an eight out of ten or something. Yeah. And I feel like, am I missing something? I thought The Hunt was fun. I thought Maybe. the... The performances are really nice, endearing maybe, characters. Maybe I was just very bored by it for some weird reason. Yeah. Uh, guaranteed not to bore viewers. Is <laughs> <laughs> the next episode called "To Serve Man." All right. This one opens with a man trapped on a spaceship in some sort of kind of prisoner type block, uh, and he is giving a narration, I believe, isn't it? Yeah. Just saying, like, oh boy, how did we get here? <laughs> Let's take a look at this, and then it cuts back to the United States when aliens land and they are called the Canimates mm -hmm. and they land and they are like nine feet tall. They have a very bulbous head, uh, kind of Andre the giant with like a giant <laughs> alien head. It's a confusing look. Uh, they land and the entire UN is bracing for them to be evil and they aren't. They're super nice. They're like, Hey, we'll help you grow your crops. We'll give you force fields. So you guys don't bomb each other. We're going to completely change your world. And everyone's very skeptical the entire time. And they're walking around with a giant book. And they're constantly reading from this book, like giving their prescriptions for how they can fix everything that's wrong with the world. Uh, and there's code breakers at the NSA or whatever. And they are trying to figure out what this book is because he left it behind. And so they picked it up. They translate the title first. And the title of the book is To Serve Man. And they're like, well, there we go. Well, no time to translate the rest of it. Let's just keep on rolling. So then eventually humans start leaving earth to go to their planet because they set up kind of like a taxi system so new canimates can come to earth and that earthlings can go to canimateville and so then the main character who we saw in the beginning is starting to get on the ship but then this one lady kept trying to decipher the rest of it and she figured it out just as our main character is getting on the spaceship and she runs through the line and screams it's a cookbook and then he's like what hey and then he tries to get <laughs> off the little walkway and then the giant canimate like lifts the walkway and shoves him into space. And then he, and then it's like the ending is him back on the spaceship, looking directly into the camera, playing like the Rod Serling part saying like, where are you right now? Are you on the spaceship? Or are you back on earth? Credits. Yeah. <laughs> the end. Yeah. Makes you think. I was excited to see this one. Cause this is one of like the classic episodes that yep. I've never seen. Exactly. I think most people know this from the Simpsons treehouse of horror. As with Epis every episode of The Twilight Zone, there is a <laughs> exactly. Simpsons version of it where you right. can fully understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah, this is one that I like knew about, but I'd never seen before either. So I had no idea what these dumb aliens were going to look like. I mean, either. Like when they walked in, I was so excited. And then it's kind of like, They're imagine nine... like a Mr. Dingle the Strong alien yeah. cut in half and then with a very tall man to the point of his face was like, kind of deformed. And he didn't move his lips. That's the other thing that made him really weird is they did that, like, you could hear the voices because they used an electronic device that you never saw, but it was probably under his robe. And that's how they, like, communicated with people. Yeah. 
But it was just really disconcerting to see this guy with his dead eyes kind of like panning the room. I would love to see footage of the actual shoot where they don't have the narration done yet. Mm -hmm. It's just like, all right, now pause for 45 seconds of silence. <laughs> this weirdo can look at your face. <laughs> it's like if you ever watched those, uh, those Wonder Years Without VoiceOver yes, on exactly YouTube. exactly like yeah. that. Exactly, yeah. Uh, that was also the smallest UN I think I've ever seen. Yeah, they, they had, had like Argentina and China and the United States and Russia and that's about it mm -hmm. in one corner of and a France. Room. Oh, France. Remember France when when the the cabinet came in came in, he was like this goo goo like wah <laughs> expression. He had these thick glasses on. Very impressive. And he took them off. Whereas the Russian guy was like eating a sandwich and a pencil and then like yeah shoving a pencil like against his <laughs> lips like i know that guy was just like desperate for attention he really wanted to ham it up in his acting yeah. performance the entire time they just made this russian guy just look like a buffoon which is not really typical twilight zone stuff like no. they usually would try and twist that and have the americans be the pigs or Make something Khrushchev look really great and they use car a lot <laughs> exactly yeah yeah so the first reveal of the aliens or the whole scenario is when like it cuts back to earth and then it shows a UFO going across the screen. And the very first shot, they blew it. Because they have yes. the UFO blowing. And it's going in front of the tree. Right. When it clearly should be behind the tree further off the Oh, sky yeah. I noticed so that, small. too. It's like, why would they start there? Did they yeah. not have the ability to just move it? Just move the cut just a couple frames yeah. forward. I was like, I was, these, these guys who are going to cook the people are very small. I didn't know that. <laughs> but then, no, no. To serve not. a man. They are the <laughs> biggest men on earth. Yikes. It seems... And <laughs> what a ballsy move to walk in with your cookbook. And, <laughs> and then just, forget it. Yeah. It was and, like, the, it's like one step below, like putting an apple in people's mouths and posing next to them <laughs> for photos. But like, I understood why they would want humans to be well fed. Yeah. And so that's why they turned like the deserts into like, you know, blossoming gardens. So that right. humans could eat and get fat. That was a big thing. Right. But like giving them force fields. That's so just you don't kinda... want them to kill each other for in war because then you just so. have these bloated bodies going to waste so my question is why didn't these aliens just like go eat some chimpanzees or something like why why humans because i hear that chimpanzee and human taste almost identical interesting i, I figured if that was on a radio lab but somewhere i remember hearing like somebody that tasted them both and like oh yeah like it's the exact same thing huh i i couldn't answer that for you and it's supposedly delicious maybe they saw us from space and chimpanzee culture isn't sophisticated enough to okay. send out like radio communications and stuff like that. So they were like, okay, we'll eat these guys. And they're so hungry. They just have to take people one by one desperate. into their spaceship. God, it must have been killing them the whole time. Just like all this food. <laughs> I'm going to eat him and him. And the, the funny part, like in retro, is the dumbest detail. As they're boarding the spaceship, they stand on a scale. Yeah. And like the lady gets on the scale. It's like the needle kind of goes up a bit and the guy like uh, nods. And then this guy gets on it and it goes up like way more. Yeah. And he's like, eh. He kind of nods and smiles. This look like, all right. Get on, <laughs> I got fatty. plans for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so they try to explain why it took them so long to decipher the entire book because this is kind of a weird detail, but I liked it. Is the front page mm -hmm. where it said to serve man, that was all in capital letters. Yeah. And they're like, well, just like our language, capital letters look different than lowercase. Yeah. And the rest of the book was in lowercase. Yeah. So we have no idea what it means. And the lack of like an interplanetary Rosetta Stone probably <laughs> made things difficult. Yeah, they really had a tough time. And like the entire time, the government's kind of being crippled or they talked about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, geez, you must be scared, Mr. Soldier, yeah. because these guys are just rendering you guys useless and we're going to have world peace. Right. And, 
And then they said, like, when they're talking about how they're going to have world peace and we don't need militaries anymore, they said, like, oh, the millennium. And yeah. then, like, and then one girl's like, oh, it's so soon. And so, like, I don't know if that they thought was, like, code for world peace or it was very confusing yeah. what they were talking about when they said the millennium right it was like a bread and butter moment yeah like, <laughs> look like... i find it like if that was like code for like the you know the pristine future mm-hmm. this episode i liked it mm-hmm. obviously i gave it an eight yeah but it's definitely one of those that's a lot more fun than i think it is good yeah yeah i gave it a seven and i think it's one of those it's like a it's like a joke you know what i mean where you hear it the first time and you get a response but i think subsequent Every time you hear the joke afterwards, it's not as funny. Right. But if you went back and watched It's a Good Life, you would still really enjoy that. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Next one, dude. Next one is The Fugitive. And it starts with a baseball game. Some little kids are playing baseball and there's a little girl, a little crippled girl, as they refer to her, named Jenny. She's got a brace on her leg. And they're trying to come up with a game. The girl disputes a call, and then suddenly it's old Ben's turn at bat. And he's an old guy who's just palling around with these kids. And really cool. they uh, pitch the ball to him, and lo and behold, he knocks the ball quite far because he's older than these young people. And now they don't have a ball, but they're cool with it. They're, they decide to play another game. They're going to play Spaceman or Martian. And what they do is Ben is going to run away and pretend to be a Martian, and everyone else is going to pretend that they're on a a vessel to exploring the planet and they tell him, okay, you got to pretend like you're like something real horrible, but not too horrible. And like, okay. So he just appears behind some shrubbery and then he comes out and he is shape shifted into this like B movie looking Martian with like this weird skin and like antenna and all this other stuff. And the kids shoot him with, they're not like terrified. They're, They've obviously played this game before. And they <laughs> shoot him with pretend ray guns and then he falls to the ground and then stands back up and he's this kindly old Ben again. So then they all disperse and go to Jenny's house. Uh, Jenny apparently lives in the same house as old Ben. He's like a, a tenant and she has a really crabby uh, aunt who's taking care of her. Who's kind of abusive and old Ben doesn't like it, but what, what can you do? Then suddenly these guys are in pursuit of old Ben and they go around and you figure out, well, he's, he's a fugitive, hence the title. And they're trying to find him, and then Jenny's wondering what's going on. And he's Ben says, "Well, I'm kind of like a criminal, you know. Something happened, and then I'm a, on the lam." And lo and behold, then it's actually a double switcheroo. You find out, long story short, that old Ben is actually royalty on another planet, and he his subjects are trying to get him back because they need their king back. And Jenny wants to go back with him because she has nothing to live for. He heals her leg, uh, but she incidentally, still has nothing to live she has nothing for. to live for. She has a crappy aunt, and they say that Jenny has an idea though, and she whispers, and they leave him alone for a minute. And they come back. There are two Jennies. Old Ben makes himself look like Jenny, so then they have to take both of them back to his home planet. And you also see what he looks like—his true form—a handsome young prince. And then she became king. queen of. So the she's going to be planet. queen of space, space land. <laughs> the it's end. It's like the opposite of Third Rock from the Sun, where Tommy was actually the super old alien. Mm-hmm. He had to go back as the kid. You have a creepy detail. So do you think like he was attracted to Jenny that whole time? And it was weird to me that like he was the same age and then they end up marrying each other, seeing like the old man constantly hanging out with this young girl. He can turn himself into a fly and do anything, but to heal a leg, he needs some special spinning contraption. It was like an up one of those fans you get at a sporting event. Yeah. And then also the two agents that are trying to hunt <laughs> him down, they use that to like stun Jenny. And yeah. then like 
kill her. That's basically a detail that I skipped over because I was talking a whole lot. That's fine. They they to lure Ben because he hides. Yeah. To lure her back to lure him back rather they um yeah they harm jenny so she's got this horrible fever and then he has to come back to save her which know, is a springing a dark, trap like like strategy on their part and he comes back and he's like oh come on guys did you really have to hurt her yeah it's like if you're king and like your subjects are like killing your future wife to lure you back it's like oh that's a weird dark planet this dude's from yeah it really well at that point they they didn't know that there was that romantic subplot that's true it and, was it was funny because like Rod Serling, the episode ends with him on Jenny's bed. Yeah, and he pulls like the thing. He's like, "Oh, she's in for a surprise when when the aunt sees this," and he produces like a glossy photograph of old Ben in like his handsome young form. I understand that like they couldn't just have like a handwritten note from a girl. Hi, I'm going away to another planet. <laughs> that would satisfy the aunt, but. Can you imagine just seeing like this glossy photograph from who knows where, and then yeah. no context, and then the girl's gone? How would that possibly? Assuming mo- the agents took her at that point, yeah. like, I don't know what else you'd jump to as a conclusion. Yeah. Also, when you talk about him hitting that baseball in the beginning, it was a pretty quick shot. But was it on fire? Was there like were they trying to do a special effect? Was I think fire? they were trying to do a special effect, like it was on fire. Okay, yeah. it was so quick. It was like, is that what they're going for? And yeah. Just kind of all moved on from yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, I really like this episode. I liked oh, it. Wow. I liked it a lot when uh, when you see the 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 Martian costume because you know what I mean. Yeah. He, like That's pops out for idea. the first time. It was really fun because it was like a really goofy looking. Like I said, B movie style monster. Maybe that's what Martians actually look like in this world because he makes it clear that he's not from Mars. Because right. when he says that I'm from an alien planet, she's like, "Oh, Mars?" He's like, "Nope." You've never heard of it. Yeah, which is I like that. Yeah, that exactly. Cool I was really confused by the end of this episode. When he's like, hey, could you two step out for a moment? And after, and they're like, all right, you promise you won't run away? He's like, mm-hmm. I promise. Just give me one minute. I'm not going to go anywhere. Right. And they left the room. And then, like, the aunt and somebody else was, like, frozen out in, like, the living room. Mm-hmm. Like, they couldn't move. And I thought that the twist was going to be that he said, give me one minute. I promise no more than that. And that he would then froze time. So oh. the minute wouldn't work. But, like, did they ever explain why the aunt was frozen out there? Uh, I I imagine it's just like uh, so we can take care of business, space business kind of oh, thing. I don't know. Business. All right, <laughs> but then they went back in. Yeah, and it was the twist of oh, yeah. who is it? You have to take both of us or none of us. Yeah. At that point, they should have produced like space lasers and just shot them all and said, you know what? Take the throne. The rules of succession. <laughs> I'm I'm the new king. Enough of you fleeing your planet <laughs> to go absurd. play baseball. It's kind of like a similar dynamic as like one for the angels, I guess, where it's just the old guy that gets along with kids really well and mm-hmm. constantly joking around with them. But this yeah. was probably more interesting than one for the Absolutely, angels. yeah. Uh, I wasn't quite as hot at it as you are. I ended up giving it a five. Really? Yeah. Again, this is this is an episode where we have differing opinions, which is good. That's why both of us talk, right? I yeah. gave this one an eight. I thought it was really fun. Holy cow. Yeah. I thought it was like, it was interesting and it was like touching without being super like over emotional. Uh-huh. Did the handicap I, angle really get to you? No, no. Okay. That, that, I thought it was really fun. Um, yeah, I, I thought that their relationship was sweet without being creepy or anything like that. You know, which I think is very important. Yeah, yeah. I like this episode a lot. Okay. Yeah. In retrospect, maybe it was a little bit nicer than I, than I painted it, but yeah, it I think struck that, me as a pretty average episode. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times it's easy to be cynical about things. You, yeah. I think you could be critical. That's certainly our jobs here. 
which we take very seriously. But and, but we take it most seriously when it comes to a stupid piano in a stupid house. Yeah, a stupid a piano in the house. God, I got to look into that one a little bit more because I thought that was complete garbage and yeah. I want to make sure I'm not insane. So we'll look forward to seasons four and five and see <laughs> which direction we're going. Because everybody gonna, says it's downhill. It's going to be like a chair in the basement, uh, <laughs> tree in the yard. <laughs> There's one episode is just going to be called F it. <laughs> I hope it's an hour long one too. That'll oh, be great. Yeah. Do you have a theory or a strategy on how you want to approach those, by the way? Do you still want to do five and just trying to blow through it? Woof. Yeah, let's do that. You think so? No. Because I mean, I'm guessing even though they're an hour long, the plots aren't going to be too much more dense than right. they are now, you know? Yeah. Let's do blocks of three. Blocks of three? Yeah, that seems reasonable. Good, okay. Good yeah, compromise? We'll, yeah, we'll find a good division point or okay. something once we know the total of that season. But. Excellent. See, you guys are privy to all these high-level discussions. You should be proud of yourselves. End it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. As always, leave your comments and reviews. We appreciate them. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk at you again next week. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Hello Twilight. Twilight, Twilight.